Welcome to episode 360 of Live Happy Now. A sense of humor and a sense of purpose are key ingredients for living a happy life. And this week's guest has plenty of both. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm really honored to sit down with Sharon Gless to talk about her book, Apparently There Were Complaints. Sharon made her television acting debut in 1972 and went on to embody iconic roles including Chris Cagney in Cagney and Lacey, Debbie Novotny in Queer as Folk, and Madeline Weston on Burn Notice. Her memoir is a funny and insightful read that also touches on her struggles with alcohol, marriage, and menopause. Today, she talks about how her gratitude and sense of purpose have shaped her journey. Well, Sharon, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you, Paula. I am so excited to have this conversation because I read this book. I fell in love with this book because it is such an adventure, and you make us feel like we're riding shotgun with you through your life, and what a ride. (laughs) What a compliment. Thank you. Well, what made you decide to write it now? Well, Actually, how I came by this book is I just was finishing a series called The Burn Notice, which I did for yeah, seven years. We've heard that. <laughs> yeah, all right. For USA. And it was about to end. And I got a call from CBS asking me if I'd come in and talk to them. And I thought, oh, this is cool. They're going to offer me another series, right? And so I got there in the president's office, Nina Tassler. And Nina, when I walked in the door, said, Welcome home, Sharon. I thought, oh, so cool, <laughs> right? And then Katie and Lacey there. And, Anyway, so I sat for an hour and talked with them and had a good time. And at the end of the hour, Nina said, you know, Sharon, we own Simon & Schuster. So I didn't know that, Nina. And she said, well, we do. And I think you have a book in it. And I said, well, Nina, I'm not a writer. She said, no, but you're a storyteller. There you go. And I don't remember people even telling me that. And I said, okay. So she had the president of Simon & Schuster call me the next day. And I waited a year. I mean, I signed with Simon Schuster and then waited a year before I even flew to New York to meet him. (laughs) So you were a little on the bubble about it? Yeah, I mean, I know I'm going to do another series. You know, well, that didn't happen. So after I went and met him, I signed and I waited a year again before I even started writing. Anyway, then I finally, I finally got on board and with their help, I wrote a book. Took me seven years. (laughs) Well, it was worth the wait. I got to say. And I mean, it's hilarious. I laughed out loud and read so many parts out loud that whole time, like all the way through. But it's important to know you also don't shy away from all that trauma that you went through. And how difficult was it to walk through that again? Because, man, that's really opening up your heart and pulling things back out. It wasn't difficult and they weren't difficult to remember. I came up with the title first. So yeah, title, tell, us, tell us how you came up with that. Uh, well, the title informed the piece. I was in, I played Christine Cagney for many years and Cagney was a known alcoholic. And so right after Cagney, they suggested that I might want to check into Hazleton Rehab. And there was a lot of scandal about it. It's life imitating art and all of that. And I was there, it's a 28 day program. I was there seven weeks. <laughs> Over to your, uh... Yeah. <laughs> so they wouldn't let me out. Somebody approached me, and there's a lot of scandal about it. So it was all over the papers. I was in rehab, and someone approached me saying, You were in Hazleton? I said, Yeah, I was. She said, Why were you in Hazleton? (laughs) And I said, I just tried to come up with something funny, and immediately I said, Apparently, there were complaints. (laughs) (laughs) And my husband, who wasn't my husband, was standing there when I said it, and he burst out laughing. So I always remembered that. 
very early. So when I was offered the book deal, I thought, I think that's what I'll call it. And then, as I said, the title informed book, and I came up with all the complaints I could remember about throughout my life. <laughs> I didn't have to do any research there. All <laughs> just, it was all there. You know, I've read memoirs where people kind of gloss over some of those unpleasantries, but you hold yourself accountable. You are yeah. very honest about missteps, and you talk about menopause and marital life. And mm. what do you think others can gain from reading it? Because I was honestly surprised at how forthcoming you were that they're not alone, that most of us go through it, at least the menopause. Mine was, I never had a hot flash in my life, but my menopause was highly emotional, very painful. Just didn't know who I was and all the things I used to do, I didn't do anymore. And I, menstruating for one, I'm on one of the few people who mourn, no longer menstruate. You did not gloss over this. Like you could have made this an easy ride. You could have filled this with just hilarious stories and been like, Sharon Glass had a great, easy life. But you, I mean, you were so bold and so vulnerable. Well, I was. And, you know, read it. I mean, it sounds like I was abused. I was never abused as a child. But I was raised by a very, very strict grandmother. Mm-hmm who made me toe the mark in ways usually grandmothers or even mothers don't. So a lot of it was painful and a lot of times I failed, but I am a product of what I went through. Mm -hmm. And I like me. And believe it or not, as as formidable, I make that grandmother sound, I really am very, very grateful to her. One of my favorite lines, if I may, in the book, you know from reading the book, all the painful stuff with her, and how I struggled so to make her proud of me. I was one of 17 grandchildren, and I was her favorite. And that means that she was rough. And years later, I went to this meeting. I want to talk to my grandmother, and I want to know all these hits I've had on television, the awards I've won, and the money I've made, and is she proud of me now? And the medium said, let me check. <laughs> she comes back, and she said to tell you she's proud of you still. See, and that's so powerful. Oh, my God. And I knew it happened because that's exactly what she said. I'm proud of this. See, and, I, mean, and I guess do, she always was, but she was so fun. Yeah, and you do a great job of painting how challenging that was for you as a child growing up to try to meet her expectations. And, you know, you also talk about your parents' marriage and how that and your grandparents' marriage is failing, how that really informed your dating life. And I thought that was so incredible because... A lot of women have gone through that and don't get that kind of validation to really explain it to them so well. well. And I admitted to things that I'm not necessarily proud of, but I was just a result of divorces throughout our family. We were all Catholic, so it was like scandal also. Yeah. It wasn't, just, <laughs> wasn't just they were divorced, grandparents and parents and parents. They, yeah, it just wasn't done. And but your resilience and your grit really shine through. Like, I don't know if you study character strengths, but boy, resilience to spare. So no, I don't study that, but you oh. sort of had, I, I had to keep standing because she wouldn't have had it otherwise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was part of surviving is that I keep standing. A lot of people don't, they buckle. And I think that's what was so impressive is that there was nothing that happened where at any time in the book and in your life, did you just say, well, I can't too much? It was just like, okay, how am I going to beat this? You have such incredible lessons that you share throughout the book of how you utilize resilience. Thank you. 
I mean, it sounds like I I was abused. I wasn't. Emotionally, I was roughed up a bit. Right. But, you know, Paul, I'm grateful to her. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely grateful to her. I loved her. I just feared her. Right. I was afraid a lot. But I didn't show it. Yeah. And by the end of her life, like the relationship has taken on a much sweeter tone. Like within the book, you can see you start to get a little foreshadowing that she will be proud of you in the afterlife because you see how she's softening toward you and welcoming you and, you know, live in this apartment. And and, yes, uh, she saved me, really. Yeah. So that was, you know, one thing that you talk about in the book is you say, I'll read it. Being happy has always been my goal. And as part of that, you really talk about having a sense of purpose. So can you talk about how having a sense of purpose has been so integral to you finding happiness? Well, I think you have to have a direction. You have to know what you want or what you want to be. You don't necessarily have to know how you're going to get there. Right. But you do have to have a dream. I study metaphysics, and my metaphysics teacher told me once, you don't have to know what it's going to look like, but you do have to know how you're going to feel when you get whatever it is. And I think I've just gone through my whole life just feeling and dreaming and not always knowing what it was to look like. But my dreams came true mm-hmm. in a bigger way than I think I had ever guessed. Yeah. I don't think anyone could have envisioned your career because women weren't doing <laughs> your career at the time that you entered it. You know, going under contract was a rarity. And, and, and except for comedies, women didn't starve. It's right. Barney Rosenzweig, the first man who ever developed dramatic series. And I can very proudly say, I, thanks to him, it changed the history of television for women. Oh, absolutely. And you changed the way women saw themselves. And so I want to talk about Cagney and Lacey to begin with, because you know, really that's where it started. I know you did some guest roles and had some other parts in series, oh, yeah. but I mean, obviously, for many of us, Cagney and Lacey is like that iconic jumping in point where we really got to know you. And what was it like when you, can you talk about the effect that being Chris Cagney had on you? Well, it certainly changed my life. It also formed me. I mean, I do not believe I was a feminist when I signed on. I was not a feminist. I wasn't anything. <laughs> I never had to fight against men for parts unless they wanted to wear a skirt. You know, so, but I learned a tremendous amount about feminism and eventually learned what that show was doing for women in the United States. You know, when you shoot on a soundstage, nobody's applauding. Occasionally, if you're really hit it, <laughs> the crew will come up. But you are not aware of the impact you're having, you know. And then, of course, we learn we're having 30 million viewers a week. And I'll tell you, when I first came aware of the impact we had. And I'd been on the show maybe five years by then, six. Wow. Tyne and I were in Washington doing the Women's March against Washington. There was Whoopi Goldberg and Gloria Steinem. I mean, I was up there with all the swell feminists. You know, Tyne and I were holding the flag, marching, go to the, the Washington Monument. And there's a big stage and we're backstage and I'm just looking around not knowing what I'm supposed to do. And I think it was Gloria who said, go out there. I said, go out there. <laughs> Aren't you coming with us? No. Two of you go. I said, what do I say? She says, don't say anything. Just walk out. Fine. Just walk out. So we walked out. I am telling you, the 
audience, hundreds of thousands of women, and Barney Rosenzweig, started screaming and crying and clapping. And nobody was more shocked than I. I just turned to time. They put Eunice and watched us. They noticed us. And she said, I won't say what she said. <laughs> it's a family show, right? Um, but that's when I first became aware of the impact and the positive effect we had on the women of America. It was so crap. Anyway, it was a great honor. Yeah. And I told you as we were you know, kind of doing some pre-show talk, I do some work with the International Association of Women Police. I'm editor yeah, of their magazine. And boy, the impact that you have had on female police officers. So it's it's really two groups. Like you've got women who are just inspired to go out and, you know, chase their dreams and be what they wanted to be. And then you've got police officers. There's I cannot tell you how many times if your name comes up and it does, <laughs> that that's the show that inspired them to become police officers. And you well, I've this- had them tell me that. Yeah. So I've had what- young girls come up and say, write me, say, I'm going to join the force because of you. One right back and say, "Are you crazy? You could get hurt. It's a dramatization. <laughs> Those are real guns, honey. <laughs> no kidding." And now I've had women come to me and say, "I put in my twenty years. Mm-hmm. Thank you." Today I live on an island. I am, and my husband was over having lunch, and he said, "Get over here." So they're not hungry. He said, "Get over here." There are forty-two <laughs> Miami female police officers sitting here having lunch. I went over, they were all in uniform. It's in honor of International Women's Day. And I walked over to them and when they realized who it was, they all stood up. Watered me, I said, please, thank you. Thank you for keeping our world safe. Wow. So what? That's that's an incredible ovation. And how is that to you when you realize, because it's not just that you've impacted these women and have given them their career, think of all the lives that they have touched. When you extrapolate out the lives that you have changed because of that, what goes through your mind? Gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude that I got to play that character. Cagney's mm-hmm. one of my particular characters. <laughs> because she's so flawed. And gratitude that we have so many women protecting us now and that we're safe. Now, another character, like, God, you've had so many great characters, but Another one that just has really changed people's lives was from Queer as Folk and Debbie Novotny. And oh my God, like you were I the went woman. after that part. Tell us about that. And what I made you want that? I've never gone after a role before. I mean, with such passion, I wanted it. I called up the network that was going to shoot at Showtime. I said, I want that part. And the president of Showtime's assistant used to be my husband's assistant. So I knew her very well. And she said, you don't want this part, Sharon, but there's no money. And I said, I don't care. She said, she's in Canada. I don't care. <laughs> I want it. Because I knew it was a wonderful show. I also was very fascinated with the sexiness of it. I mean, there was yeah. a lot of well, it was uh, Man, I wanted to be there. It's really important to note the time was different, though. It was not as welcoming and as gay-friendly as today's world. And it was really controversial when the show first came out. Well, yes, I guess it was. I don't remember reading any complaints about it. The night we aired, I was, I don't know, oh my gosh, the religious right is going to rise. And it was the night that Bush stole the election from <laughs> really, Al Gore. 
And of course, all that was going on. So we just sort of slid under the radar. Oh, yeah. For opening night. But from then on, we developed this very unusual audience. Clearly, it was made for gay men. That's who it was fashioned for. And gay women. But we got this added audience that we weren't expecting. Because all the straight women want to see these naked guys. Because they're all gorgeous. All, all of them. gorgeous and they're butt naked. And so they'd all tune in. And their boyfriends would watch it with them because the girls would get so hot, they'd get lucky. <laughs> so we had this whole other audience that we didn't expect. It was a yummy part. And I'm closer to that cast than any other cast I've ever played well, to this day. And I think for so many people in the gay community, you became that mother figure that we wanted. Yes. It's that's like, maybe you don't have that at home, but gosh, if you can find that character somewhere. And I think like a lot of people felt that mothering from you in that role. That's what I understand. I thought she was so outrageous. The people <laughs> describe, write about her, you talk about her like she's a saint. She had the worst <laughs> mouth. She had the worst mouth on the show. I know. You know? All the love. All the love and acceptance. Yeah, she did love them. She loved all yeah. of them. Yeah. And she was tough on them. Yeah. Yeah. She was quite a character. And of yeah, all I love that she- Yeah. Is that your favorite role? Is there one character that you say, like, you carry with you most in your heart? Probably the character that changed my life the most was Christine King. Mm-hmm. I have to say that. I mean, it, it enabled me to do roles like but Queerest Folk is the rule from, from which I learned the most, that character. And I'm one of those people who go around for years saying, some of my best friends are gay. I'll sit around and have breaks, yada, yada, and we have a great time. There are a lot of things they handled in Queerest Folk that I didn't know. I didn't know the plight, the serious plight of the gay community. I learned a lot from that show, and now I'm very active. Many months I'm there. So I came away from that show the most knowledge. Yeah. And it does reflect in the way that you have become so supportive of the gay community and continue oh, to be that way. My pleasure. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. gay community. <laughs> and the lesbian community was, was very powerful in Cagney and Lacey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we brought the men with us. <laughs> <laughs> there was something for everybody there. <laughs> yeah, something to offend everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so as people read your book and they I mean, it is just, it really is a delight. What is it that you hope resonates with them the most, that they walk away from this book feeling? It's wrong for me to say that you can survive because it wasn't a dastardly childhood, but I just hope it's mixed. I hope they close the book saying that was a good ride. Yeah. That was a good ride because some of it's funny and some of it is sad. When I was recording the audio, for which I've won three awards. Thank you. Awesome. Um, Thank you. <laughs> there were parts that I'm reading. Again, I mean, when you write it, it's a long, long process, you know. But in reading it, as if it were for the first time, I got moved by my own words. <laughs> there was one part where I started to cry. It was about my grandma. And I got choked up. My obviously, my voice, I lost control of the voice. And I said, oh, please, no, no, no. I said, guys, let's back up. Let's re-record that section. And a friend of mine, my brought in from California to um, direct me. But when I said, no, no, let's back it up, redo that part again, she said, are you kidding? That's gold. <laughs> Actually, she said another word in front of gold. But she said, leave it in. So I even touched myself. So I think there is something to offend everyone. You will laugh and you'll cry mm-hmm. times and feel hopeful because I, 
the hardest chapter to write was the last because I'm not having to work from memory. You know, I'm not having to, now I'm not being a storyteller. Now I have to talk about me now. Right. And that was really hard. Interesting. Because it would seem in reading it that it'd be pulling out the past that would be more challenging. The past lives yeah. Carry it around. And I don't say that it's a complaint. It's just a, I'm a product, you know, what yeah. I went through. And again, I mean, it is a brutal childhood, but emotionally, it was tough. I'm a people pleaser. You know, when you have a grandmother mm-hmm. like that, it's just you never stop dancing. Yeah, you're not going to please. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Until the afterlife. And so. Until the afterlife. Yeah. After. That's great. So what are you working on now? Because again, you thrive and it becomes so apparent. You thrive on work. You thrive on. I do. I just took a job and I'm not allowed to talk about it. It's a wonderful role, a brief role, but very. Oh, awesome. Yes. And also I'm standing in for Barbara Eden. Remember Barbara Eden? Oh, yeah. I dream of Jeannie. Jeannie? Yeah. Barbara Eden. She's now an amazing 90. Wow. And she's been touring, I guess, for years, doing love letters. That's right, with so, Barry Boswick. With Barry Boswick. So I'm having the pleasure of stepping in for her this weekend with Barry Boswick. Oh, you have to letters. sit on a stage with him for two hours and look I at him? I know. That's you think anybody's going to look at me? <laughs> <laughs> That's a rough gig. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's fun. It's a fun piece. I've never done love letters. Once Tyne and I were asked to do it. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but I'm one of the few actresses in the world who has never done, and it's quite a piece. I thought it was a comedy. Well, it is, yeah. but it's a heavy role. comedy. Her role. Yeah. 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 Well, this is fun. As we have to let you go, then what is your best advice for people who are looking to find that happiness with their life, who are looking to find peace with their past, no matter what their past is? You have to have something to get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. There has to be something that lifts your heart. And either you have it now and you're enjoying it, or it's a dream in the future. You absolutely, I believe, can have it. I believed it. I believed it. I got through all those years of being a good girl. And I went into an industry that my family, my grandfather said, it's a filthy business. Get out of it. But I always held my dream. And I've been wanting to work again since the book is over. I thought, well, now what do I do? And boom, two jobs come up. One, very good. Two. And it's because I always kept the dream out there. And another thing I learned, you didn't ask me, but you sort of asked me, what did I learn from doing this book? I learned to stop blaming anybody else. Never anymore do I ever blame anybody for anything because it's my responsibility. Somehow, I don't know how, I created, I brought it in. And the wonderful thing of lifting me, blaming my grandmother off my shoulders, so freeing. I put her there, clearly for a reason. Here she is, folks. But <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So many of us, at least I, I used to go through life, oh, blame, you know, if she'd been nicer, or, you know. And once I got that off my shoulders, forget it. Take it on yourself. Take on your dream or make up one. You've got to have a dream. So says Richard Rogers, Rogers and Emerson. Got to have a dream. That was Sharon Glass talking about her new book. Apparently, there were complaints. 
If you'd like to learn more about her book or follow her on social media, visit our website at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.